We are in Acts chapter 9, picking it up in verse 31. Let us run boldly to our great God in prayer before we talk about his word. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We desire your name, your, just you, Lord, to be high, exalted, magnified in our lives, in our worship, in our conversation right now, in our marriages, Lord, our households, our families. We want to see you. We want to know you. We want to love you and worship you in spirit and in truth with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength. In you and you alone, we have life. And for the life that you've given to us, we are humbly grateful. I give you thanks, Lord, for calling each one of us individually and for calling us in this place together this morning. So we talk about your church, Jesus, your body, your bride, the new creation that you have caused us to be and are causing us to be. We ask for your spirit to lead us in truth in our conversation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are only going to cover one verse this morning, verse 31 of chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And for me, again, this is, I love how the Holy Spirit leads us faithfully just in the context of our lives. Uh, For me, this is my first Sunday together with you uh, in this new year. Often we're looking to the Lord for um, as we transition from year to year, there's, there's looking back at the prior year, there's looking forward to what the Lord wants to do, there's some reset buttons in our life. This provides a, a snapshot in regards to the church, in regards to the body of Christ. And there's multiple snapshots. So we go through these cycles of life. So every single day, the Lord's mercy is new every morning, right? Those things that you may have fought with yesterday, struggled through, the victories you may have had yesterday, his mercy, his grace, his patience, your relationship with him, it's new and it's vibrant today. We go through our weekly cycles, our monthly cycles, our annual cycles. Here the church in the book of Acts, Luke communicates through these these transitions and these summary statements, and that's what we're sitting here in verse 31. It says, then the churches... Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So we're sitting in the book of Acts. I've, I've given the title just this overarching umbrella that we are witnessing his workmanship. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says that we are... Our God's workmanship, his poem, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should just simply walk in them. 
And all the way back in chapter 1, we see Jesus give to the, his followers, the disciples, this promise that they were to wait, wait in Jerusalem, this promise that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, that they were going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. Chapter 1, verse 8 says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive power, this strength, this ability. He is the one who gives us the power to specifically be witnesses to Jesus Christ, that we are his witnesses. And as we're going through the book of Acts, as Luke is communicating this information to Theophilus, as we are sitting in this information, we're given, here's these specific circumstances that have happened. And after each one of those detailed circumstances that he discusses, he highlights a transition or a summary as he travels through this letter so that we can understand Jesus' work in the lives of human beings, ourselves included. In chapter 1, verse 1, he gives a summary statement in regards to what Jesus was doing. He said, um, he's talking about the gospel of Luke, the first account that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, Jesus' ascension, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also pre, uh, presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Summary statement transitioning the gospel, Jesus's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, transition phrase here. After Jesus ascends into heaven, chapter 1, verse 14, we're given this summary statement that these all, these 120 believers approximately, they all continued with one accord in prayer together. They're unanimous together in their relationship in Jesus, their relationship to one another. They're in one accord seeking the Father in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 2.42, after we have Peter's first sermon where he is communicating very clearly the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And you have all these people whose hearts were pierced Pierced by the word, pierced by the Lord, pierced by the spirit. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The summary statement in regards to these individuals, 2.42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the teaching in regards to who Jesus is and what he did. And fellowship, the participation in life that we have together and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Listen, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
Hold on to that word church. We're going to come back to it in our context in chapter 9. Chapter 4, another summary statement. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed were his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor is there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or households sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need." Chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, after the scenario with Ananias and Sapphira, great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed." Chapter 6, verse 7, says that the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. In our context in chapter 9, it comes all the way back to, to this verse here at uh, chapter, uh, verse 7. Of chapter 6 and verse 8, there's a transition here. So this is all the immediate context that we've been looking at in regards to the snapshot that we're given to the church. Beginning of chapter 8, dealing with persecution, Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. A great persecution, a hunt arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 4 of chapter 8 says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. We have the gospel going into Samaria. Ethiopian man coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We have Saul repenting and turning from persecuting the church to becoming a follower of Jesus and that radical transformation. So all of that coming to this new snapshot, then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria the snapshots where the gospel has gone to each one of these communities were now being provided with this summary statement in Acts. Now again, remember, we're watching the activity of Jesus and the lives of human beings. We're watching the Holy Spirit as he is leading and as he is moving. But it comes to the definition of church. So what is the church? Some of your translations are going to have church as singular, 
That's what some of the manuscripts have. It just says singular church. Some of the translations, uh, the old manuscripts have plural there, multiple churches. So whether we're talking about the church, the body of Christ in its entirety, or we're talking about local congregations, this word church, it's a German word that comes from a Greek word that it, it means belonging to the Lord, belonging to the master. So when we say the Lord's day, it's Jesus' day. He is the master of that day. When we say that this is the Lord's church, it is this, this uh, the word for church in the Greek is dealing with the possession of it's belonging to a master. The issue that we deal with when we say the word church When you got ready this morning and you were communicating to other human beings about where you were going to go, what did you say? We're going to go to church. So the issue becomes when we identify the church as a location, as a building, as a a man-made organization or entity. Because when we talk about the word church in Greek, it's dealing with the word ecclesia. This word ecclesia in the Greek, it's a, it's a secular word, it's not a religious word. So there's a very specific reason why the Holy Spirit chose to use a secular word in regards to defining followers of Jesus Christ, because we are not to be linked with any other pagan religion or any other system of man. But this word, it means that we are a gathering of people united by a common identity and purpose. This word ecclesia, it literally means that we have been called out, uh, but the emphasis is not on what we've been called out of. The emphasis upon, is upon who and why we're assembling, why we're gathering. Does that make sense? So in Matthew 16, 18, we have this definition from Jesus, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. On this church, I, on, this, on this rock, this is dealing with Peter's confession in regards to who Jesus is as Christ, who Jesus is as the son of the living God, that rock, that, the confession, that is the foundation of our relationship with God and that is the foundation of him building his church of individuals coming into this community. So when he says, I will build my ecclesia, Jesus is the one who has called us to assemble in him and to him. So our assembly this morning, our gathering in this specific location is the result of the Holy Spirit's activity leading our lives and our relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. Does that make sense? Like the reason why we are here is for Jesus' name and his name only. That last song that we were singing, Jesus, Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in the future. Every tongue will confess that he is the God who created the heavens and the earth. Every tongue is going to confess his majesty, the work that he performed on the cross, 
the power of his resurrection, the power of his ascension where he is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Every tongue is going to confess the name of Jesus. And again, as we gather this morning, as often as we gather, as often as we assemble, the who is very easy to identify. We're here because of the name of Jesus, his name, his nature, his character, his person. The why becomes the much deeper question. Remember, I brought up this, this, I, this, the idea of the depth of the question of why when Jesus comes to Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? That often when we answer the question, why are, why are you here this morning? Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you read the word? Why do you worship? Why do you serve? There's very surface answers to that. And then there's very deep and probing answers to who Jesus has been to us individually and personally, who he is to us as a congregation specifically here and globally. So as we sit in the rest of this sentence here in verse 31, the, there's six words that we're going to define this morning that help define the why we are assembling in the name of Christ, that we are identified with him and that we are here for his plans and his purposes alone. The language in this sentence, in the, we, we add, there's a bunch of fillers in the English to make the sentence make sense, but in the Greek, it's indeed now, the churches throughout all of this region, so Judea where Jerusalem is, Galilee where Jesus spent so much of his ministry, Samaria, the gospel coming to those evil Samaritans, again in the community of Israel, specific location, they had something, they possessed something, they were experiencing something. And it says peace, edified, walking, the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, multiplied. So when we look at his activity, when we look at the activity of Jesus Christ in the church, whether it's the church universal or the church in specific local contexts, there is a spectrum of activities in this snapshot, when we talk about the church, we are talking about individuals who are assembling together. We, uh, as individuals, we have assembled together in this particular location this morning. Every one of us has come here in our different backgrounds. We had different experiences just this morning. We're in different positions in our relationships with other human beings. Some of us are seated on a mountaintop in Jesus this morning. Some of us are in the pit of a valley and life doesn't feel any darker than it ever has this morning. So when we get this snapshot, again, we're not talking about just this, this entity and this organization. Uh, we're given, um, we are missing all of the details in regards to the specific nuances that are going on in every single one of these local fellowships. Does that make sense? Like when we read this, we are lacking a tremendous amount of information. 
When it says that they are experiencing peace, it's standing in contrast to the overarching persecution that's been going on in the body of Christ at this place at this time. So it doesn't tell us about the church that is already there in Rome. It doesn't tell us about the church that is there. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? Is he dealing with persecution in Ethiopia? Are they dealing with uh, just an abundance, the same blessing and the same peace that's going on in this particular community? We don't know all of those answers. But what we do know is that the words that are being used to define the congregations in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they are words that define the body of Christ in all contexts and all time throughout all of history in Jesus. And this is the word. So we begin, they have, they experience peace. This word peace has tremendous weight in both Old and New Testaments. It is through the grace of God that he brings peace into our lives. The definition of peace is the idea of harmony, the idea of tranquility, stability, stillness. As we were singing about the name of Jesus, he is the one who calms the storms. He is the one that brings about peace, stability, stillness. And this is something that is experienced. You can be dealing with a tremendous amount of tribulation on the outside and still be possessing and experiencing the internal unity and fellowship that comes from our relationship with Jesus. Listen to this, out of John chapter 14. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. Powerful section of scripture John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace, I leave with you. My peace, it, I give it to you. But not as the world gives do I give to you. When I walked in this morning, I was late for the first song. So by the time I walked in here, you were already singing the chorus, the repetitious chorus. And that, uh, that's what I was looking for when I grabbed your paper, because I'm going to misquote it. But essentially, that what God has given to us, the world has no power and no ability to take away from us. The Lord has the power to give. The Lord has the power to take away. And we sit in this peaceful, faithful, contented, satisfied statement Blessed be the name of the Lord, regardless of what's going on on the outside, because he is the one who is given to me and given to us and given to the whole church peace. And he gives it to us in a way not like the world gives, because when God gives, it's permanent. Forever, John 16, 33. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want to pause right here because this is something that I believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken and I've counted at least five times this morning in regards to the opposition that we have against Jesus' peace in our life. 
There is an enemy of our souls, but that enemy, Satan, the devil, demons, this world, other human beings, whatever that opposition is coming into your life, that opposition has no victory over you. And this is, I don't know what you personally need to sit in as you listen to this. I'm not sure the context of what we need to sit in as a congregation in regards to this warning. Because again, when Jesus gives us warning in regards to the activity of the enemy, it's not so that we can be fearful, it's so that we can be watchful. I don't know if this is a warning for individual, individuals, or for us as a congregation, but it sounds like that the enemy is on the move or that he is about to be on the move, and Jesus is telling us to take heed in our relationship with him. I don't know if we're going to be attacked as a congregation. I don't know if our marriages are going to be attacked, our kids are going to be attacked. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if this is a cultural thing. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know if it's next December. But what I do know is what I've heard from the Spirit this morning, very specifically, Jesus has overcome the world. This world and the enemy has absolutely zero power over you. The only power the devil has over you is the power that you grant to him. So take heed in regards to your relationship in Jesus and pay attention to the schemes, the deception, the wiles, and the activity of anything that stands in opposition to Jesus in your life. And have this umbrella, have this banner over your life, the peace that Jesus has given to you, nobody can take away. His peace, he has given to you. Think about that. The one who created the heavens and the earth has given to you, not just in knowledge, not just in a uh, theology discussion, but something that he has granted to you experientially is his peace. Not just peace, but this word edified. The word edified here in context, the word literally means to build a house. When we talk about the church, it's called, it's identified as the body of Christ. It's also called the household of God, the imagery being used that Jesus is building a building. He is building a home. We are told in Revelation that there is no temple because the almighty God and his son are the temple. He is the one who dwells in us. He is the one through faith in Christ. He has taken up residence in us. I know when we sing that we invite God into this place. We invite the Holy Spirit into this place. I get it. I understand. Theologically, it's wrong. Because there is no place where we can escape from his presence. There is no place that we want to escape from his presence. Where you are is where the Lord is because he has taken up residence in you. The church is not a singular location building. The body of Christ is in this world wherever the body of Christ is because the almighty God has chosen chosen to create us, to image us after him, 
and to make us able to be the home of God. And we have this future promise that the glorified bodies that he is going to give to us are going to be able to eternally abide in oneness with him, in his light, in his glory. Praise God, I can't wait for that day. But the idea of being edified is this idea of being built up and it's being strengthened. This word means that Jesus, in your life, he is making you more able. Each day that goes by, he is strengthening you individually and he is strengthening his body in this world. He is making us able to obey him, making us able to worship him, making us able to love him and to love one another. We sit in his commandments and we say, God, how can I do that? You can't. He is the one who makes us able. God, how can I stand against the devil? You can't. You stand in your Lord. You stand in the power of his might and his strength. He is the one who is building us up. He is increasing our potential. He is approving our ability to not just know, but really experience him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse one says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I know for me personally, in my early days in following the Lord, I was being exposed to the word of God, being faithfully taught by so many different people that were pouring into my life. And I recognize that, that the, the pride of knowledge especially in Salt Lake where you're dealing with a false Jesus, where all these people have this information about a Jesus, not the Jesus, and felt puffed up in what I know against what they know. And it's not my knowledge that Jesus used to build up his church. Love is what edifies. Love is what builds up. His love for you, when we understand, again, this is what we pray in Ephesians, the end of chapter three, almost every single week, that we would know the depth, the width, the length, and the height, that we would know and understand his love, which truly does surpass all knowledge. It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. But the prayer is that he would give us the ability to understand who he is as love and what he does in his action towards us, in loving us. When we don't feel loved, when we feel like we're being ignored, when we're being tested, when we're being tried, he remains constant in his love for us. Told in Ephesians, I highly recommend you uh, spend 20, 25 minutes and read the entire letter of Ephesians. This is what I taught while I was in Kenya. Spent a few hours just studying and steeping in this. 
It's, a, it's an awesome letter in declaring the mystery, the revelation of the gospel, who he is, who we are in him, who we were. But because of his mercy, because of his grace, who he has created us to be, making us to be, he has given us in chapter four, to each one of us, he has given us grace, gifts of grace. Specifically, it says that he gave these gifts, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here's the purpose. Why he gives gifts? For the equipping, the training of the saints for the work of the ministry, the work of serving God in our lives. They are given, these gifts are given for the edification, same word, for the building up of the body of Christ. What's the goal? The purpose of why we're assembled together in the name of Jesus Christ. What is his goal in building us up, in building up the body of Christ till we all, not individually, but all of us together, come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, which means a mature man. To the measure of the stature, the maturity of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, with every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. As we were just talking about the activity of Satan, cunning, crafty, deceitful. We are being built up in Jesus through his spirit through his word, processing towards maturity, together in unity. We are to speak the truth in love. That we may increase, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, we are joined, knit together, we are united together, by what every ligament supplies, what it supports, according to the effective working, according to the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we talk about peace, the peace that is being experienced in this community in Acts the peace that we experience, the exact same peace that is sourced from Jesus Christ is something that he gives to us, that he grants to us. When we talk about being built up, it's not dealing with programs, it's not dealing with theology, it's not dealing with all these um, secondary things, it's dealing with his love. His love is what edifies us. And it's as his love pours out of us towards one another and towards him, all of us together are being built up. We are being strengthened. Walking. This word for walking, it is a, it's a, it's a word of action. You're seated right now. You are sitting. You are not in the movement of action. I am standing. I am not moving. Walking. There's an action to it. There's a process to it. As I'm walking across the stage, there's something that I've done in history. You can look back on your life and look at 
who you have been in the Lord, who you were outside of the Lord, how you, he has changed you and transformed you, what he is processing um, in your life today, this idea of walking, it's, it's how we live, it's how we behave, it's how we conduct ourselves, and the, the, the emphasis of the word is it's a continuous action as we follow Jesus. So we are not supposed to be drifting in our relationship with Jesus. When we are drifting, we are not moving, but the current, there's a current that is moving us and causing us to slowly drift away from the Lord. As we follow Jesus, we're not to just be standing here as Jesus continues to move forward, calling us to follow, and we're just standing. There's, there's a continuous action. There's a process who the events that he has taken you through personally, the events that he takes us through as an assembly, as a congregation, they are very specific according to his plans and his purposes. But our responsibility is to what? Put one foot in front of the other to trust him, to look for his peace, to have faith in his peace, to trust that he is building us up in his love, that as we walk, here are the two umbrella, like the biggies that we need to pay attention to, the snapshot that we are given here. So the process of walking as we follow Jesus, a dominant aspect of our relationship with God is defined as walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to be afraid? And what, is, what does this word fear mean? It's the, the Greek word is phobia. Anybody afraid of snakes or spiders? There's something that has an impact on you, a force on you that causes you to tremble and to be afraid. Context always gives us how to define a word, though. When we talk about fearing God, it's the idea, who is God? Define who God is. What is this being that has the ability to speak this entire creation into existence? We can sit in the word of God in the different circumstances where God unveils himself to men and women of the Bible and watch their responses. Go sit in Revelation chapter one. When Jesus reveals himself, what happens to John? He falls down on the ground as though he were dead. There is a proper, profound, intense, great awe and reverence for who this being is who has created the heavens and the earth. And that's what the fear of the Lord defines. As we follow God, we can have a very low view of this being that does not line up with his nature and character. When we say the name of Jesus, it comes with a tremendous list of definition of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And as we grow in our maturity and our knowledge of him, as we follow him, He's exposing to us his, his beauty and his majesty and his power. 
When John falls down as dead before Jesus, it says that Jesus places his right hand on him and gives him the power to stand. But every time Jesus shows up after his resurrection, even, when, even in the Gospels, when Jesus shows up suddenly to the disciples, what words come out of Jesus' mouth? Don't be afraid. So there's a proper reverence, awe, respect at his position and who he is. And then at the same time, he gives us the instruction in your relationship with him, you don't need to be afraid of him. You don't need to have a phobia of God, but you do need to have a high view in regards to who he is. So the snapshot of the peace that is in this community, the building up and love that's going on in this community, they're walking in this community it's, underneath, it's on the foundation of and underneath the umbrella of, as a community, there is a high view of God. And may that be true in us. Again, this is why I get emotional even this morning as I come into this place and I know you and I interact with your life, in your lives. Your view of God is encouraging to me. Your high view of God causes me to continue to have a high view of God. I hope as I stand up here week after week that I lift Jesus as high up as I possibly can. Not this church, not my name, not any other, any other individual or idea, but the name of Jesus be high. I am thankful for that truth in our assembly. Humbly thankful. Thank you for having a high view of God keep going. And the other is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In, uh, in John 16, 17, 18, when he's talking about that he's going to send another helper, the word for helper in the Greek, it's the one who comes alongside to help. It's this, the same word for comforter, the one who consoles. This is who the Holy Spirit is in our life. And this is what's beautiful in our relationship with God. The whole idea of this word is that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes us, who are down, we are depressed, we are discouraged, we are, uh, we are weak, we are without information, we are making mistakes. All the, all the trouble of life, all the sin of life, the mistakes of life, we are told that in our relationship with Jesus, the cleansing that he provides, the Holy Spirit as our comforter is the one who reaches down and he lifts us up. The Holy Spirit in our lives, he is the one who is the uplifter. Anybody hate looking at your own actions and your own behaviors in the, in the mirror of the Holy Spirit? Any of you ever say, oh, mm, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. It's not who I want to be. It's not who I want to look like. I can tell you, every single weekend I finished from up here, the enemy is right here chattering in my ear. Oh, you should have said that. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, you should have said it this way. Oh, they're not listening to you. Look, they're asleep. Look, they're clapping. All this distraction, all this chatter, and the Holy Spirit is always right there, silencing that voice and speaking to me. Son, 
I've given you my peace. I'm building you. I'm changing you. I'm transforming you because I love you. Keep your attention, your mind, your heart on me. Faithfully study, faithfully pray, faithfully teach. And you allow me to produce my fruit in the lives of the hearers, in the lives of our community. He uplifts my soul. Struggles in my marriage, struggles in my parenting, struggles at my work, struggles in the community. He is constantly there to help me, to comfort me, to lift up my soul out of the muck and the mire of this life and keep my feet on the solid path of walking behind Jesus, walking on the foundation of his word and the foundation of his truth, not turning to the right hand or to the left, keeping my eyes on Jesus high, forgetting those things that are behind Seeking to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Seeking in your life. Why is Jesus called? Write the definition of why. Why have we assembled? We have assembled in the name of Jesus, the who. Why are we here? Why has he called us to this place? I ask myself that all the time. We've been here for seven years. Why did he call me out of Utah to Georgia? I don't have a clue. But it's awesome And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to know you. I'm thankful to be one with you. I'm thankful for your love towards me. I'm thankful that I get to love you. It's beautiful. Walking, the fear of the Lord. Walking, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it's in this community where there is multiplication going on. Whether it's multiplication in numbers or its multiplication in maturity, this is what is going on in this snapshot. I think as we begin this year, as we can look behind and look at the activity of who Jesus has been to us individually and as a congregation, we have much that we can give thanks for. You could sit in your own paragraph of what you think Jesus would communicate to us as a congregation, where we may have holes and gaps, where he may need to lift us up and encourage us, where he would tell us that we're doing well. As we step into a new year and into a new cycle, Really, I'm praying for us as a congregation that we would know and experience the true peace that Jesus has given. We have lots of opportunity to have that tranquility in our life to be interrupted in our interactions with one another where we need to intentionally depend upon the peace that he gives I'm praying not for just myself personally, but most definitely me, but all of us together, that in the love of Jesus Christ, that he would build a beautiful assembly of God right here. That all of us, that we would walk together arm in arm with our eyes and our attention on Jesus that if one stumbles, that we'd be there to lift each other up, 
that we'd rejoice with those who are rejoicing, that we would mourn with those who are mourning, that we would be listening and attentive to his direction and his leading as a congregation that's in everything in this place, that we would have a high view of God. All things are possible in him. There's no condemnation in him. Whatever his plans and his purposes are, whatever he is calling us and directing us to do, he will give to us exactly what is needed to fulfill his will in our lives. That we would truly fear the name of God and that we would truly be free from the fear of man, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the spiritual invisible things that each one of us daily and as often as we assemble that the Holy Spirit would lift us up that we would choose to be humble that we would choose to be weak that we would choose to be dependent on him And that the Holy Spirit would be the one who is alongside of us together, lifting us up, strengthening us. And that whether the multiplication that occurs in this place is in the numbers of human souls, or whether we are just maturing as he is transforming us into the image of Christ, whatever that multiplication and increase and growth looks like, let his will be done. In the name of Jesus, amen. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the true simplicity of your word. For most of us, Lord, there is nothing new that I have said this morning. But you, Jesus, you have made us new. We were in opposition to you. We were against you. You were against us. But you have called us. You have had mercy on us. You've been gracious to us. You proclaim the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, Lord. And we have submitted ourselves to you. We have turned away from the things of the world, Lord. We have turned away from death and to sin. And we have turned to your marvelous light. We have turned to your salvation. We have turned to your deliverance. We have turned to your power. We have turned to you, Lord. You are the one who we come running to. We recognize that, Jesus, you are the head of the church. We are your body. We are your saints. We are your witnesses. We are your children. We are your brothers and your sisters. We are no longer the old men and women, but through faith in you, Jesus, you have made us new. You have stripped us of all of our filth and you have clothed us in your light and in your righteousness and in your love, in your humility. At the name of Jesus, we worship. At the name of Jesus, we work. In the name of Jesus, we move. In your name, Jesus, we stand still and we wait. 
for each soul that's in this room, Lord. Through your spirit, I'm asking that you would capture their minds and their hearts right now. And you would direct their full attention upon you. That they would yield to you. That they would cry out to you. That they would love you with all of their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. And not just individually, Lord, but us. Together. Unified. And all of the beautiful diversity that is within this room. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.